This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Brad Walls, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you for having me. Now, I'm going to tell everybody, I've got to confess as to how you got here, really, to the Better Reading office. I was following Brad on Instagram, so I don't know. How long have you been taking photos? Um, Better part of four years. Okay, so I think I've been along the way for most of that journey. Okay. Um, And then uh, Brad published a book or had a book published and I noticed you had an Australian accent, and then I tried to track you down. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because most people don't know I'm Australian, but yeah, I mean, that's coincidental about the Instagram thing, but happy happy to be here and happy to chat about the book. Yeah. Now, it's a shame podcasts aren't visual because mm. those photographs, your work is absolutely striking and mm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Let me introduce you and then we'll talk about it. Brad is defining a new era of aerial photography, and he's the recipient of several prestigious awards. He's attracted many, many features in Washington Post, The Guardian, CNN, New York Times, and multiple other publications around the world. His work is frequently in the limelight of social media. In Pools from Above, that's what the book is called, Brad captures the unexpected beauty, curves, hues and textures of unique aquatic architecture from around the world. Produced over a span of three years in four countries, this photo collection is a culmination of his long journey to discover the beauty in commonplace landscapes seen from unexpected places. Well, I'm a swimmer. Mm. And I don't know if that's how I first found you. I try to swim every single day of my life. I don't always get there, but I almost get there. And I would travel as well. And wherever I go, I always find the swimming pool. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah, that's how the whole series started. I have a love for travel. So when I was traveling at the time, in my mid-20s, I, I bought a drone. Like everyone else at the time, I think I was very crazed by the idea of the drone. Um, not so much the photography, but I was just... It was the new boom and I took it on holidays and we started, or I started just popping it up and taking some photos and I didn't really think much of the photos. I had an interest for it and then at the same time I was working in design and product design and I thought maybe there's something here that is more of a design look of photography from above, because I've seen it obviously in fine art photography, but not from an aerial side. So I took those images and I started to play with them and there was a common theme and pools always started to come up. And maybe it was just in places that I was really nice resorts or whatever, but that's how it started. It was basically from my world of travels and I moved it into just pools. Yeah. So describe for those people that haven't seen your work yet and I encourage everybody to buy this beautiful book I just love it and I feel that it's very very um 
peaceful in a way. Mm. You know, looking at water um, is just so, I think, very mindful and very peaceful. But what you do, because it's a drone, and, you know, at first I didn't know that because I'm not very technical, right? But you pull right above mm. and you show us everything mm-hmm. from a bird's eye view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't use a helicopter or anything like that. I, I It's solely a drone. And I'm about... Most of the pools are about five five to ten meters above. So it's not too high. And I think what makes it different is that what I try to do is turn it into a piece of art. I turn it into something that's will take kind of your eye along a journey. And I think always the cropping is such a huge part of that. So most of the pools are never full pools. They're actually a third or a you know a quarter or a half. And that's to kind of you know, use those leading lines, the symmetry, the things about pools that we don't see kind of at at eye level. Mm. So that's what I try to do. Yeah. So because, you know, everybody's experience of seeing a swimming pool, I guess, is just from the side Mm. or if you're in it, just Mm -hmm. from where you are in the water. There's that beautiful Australian painter, um, Martine Emder. I'm not not sure if you're familiar with her work, but she paints pool, Mm. images of people in pools, Mm -hmm. but they're from in the water water, perspective. Perspective. Yeah. yeah, I suppose it's yeah, it's a nice take, um, but you know, ultimately, I think I also have a love for architecture. Yeah. So that that did lead me more there as well. Like I love certain aspects of architecture, and I yeah, it's, I had another person ask me a similar question about why pools, and maybe we'll get there. But I think ultimately, I always thought they were the last thought in. In, in, in houses or whenever you kind of see a realtor or kind of an ad, pools are kind of the last picture. So I really wanted to bring that to the front because I think for me growing up with a pool, I loved it. So I really wanted to make a feature of it. Yeah. I've always dreamt about having a pool. Having said that, I've always lived in close proximity of a public pool. A public pool. pool, yeah. Yeah. At the moment. Well, I used to be, I think, 200 metres away from the pool um, and then I moved to the other side, and now I'm 300 metres away from the mm. pool. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I'm never far away. <laughs> from a pool. <laughs> no, I'm not. I love the water so much. Okay, so they're not just photos of pools. There is something usually happening in the pool. Mm. And a lot of those would be set up, wouldn't they? Yeah, you kind of break down it into maybe two categories, I think. Oh, maybe three, but one one category is definitely public pools. And maybe that's how you found me because some of them blew up in Sydney. And I think what I like about these is that they attract, they attract kind of the, the swimmer, the, the the person that's quite driven in life. And that's kind of feedback. People really love to see the consistency of the lanes, the swimming. Um, so that's kind of one category. Um, and I also like that it's a good visual representation of life. And then there's also the second category where it's more architectural. Mm. That's a dominant feature in the book because that's what I more love. And I, maybe there's only two categories there and you know, most of them fall into those. Mm. So there, there are some that are at a, a couple theme parks and they're huge pools, but majority fit in the other two categories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'll come back to that because some of them, the images stylized, aren't they, the people in the pool? Most of them 
are either empty or the people in the pool are public and they have no idea what's going on. Right. So, okay. no, they're not stylized in this book, no. But I guess sometimes taking photos in a pool, you've got to be careful. Yeah, you, you, you do. I mean, public pools is uh, behaves like... I think a lot of people get it confused on drone photography. Uh, the law is that if it's public, it, it's treated like street photography. Right. So I had only one occasion where there was an issue and it was actually a private pool in LA and I was shooting a pool next door to the one that I saw and I saw this amazing pool next door. It was, I'm not sure if you know it, but it's, 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 it, there's a guy swimming on one side and there's a roof that's a beautiful texture. And I was like, I just need to get it. I'm going to do everything I can to get it. And so I went and took the photo and then after, I, I went and knocked on his door and I said, hey, mate, this is like, this is, this is borderline. It's pretty much illegal for me to take that photo, but will you give me permission? Yeah. He's like, yeah, sure. Like, whatever. <laughs> like, people in LA were so friendly about it. But yeah, that's the rule. That's the rule. And if, if it's a private property and no one's there, it's, it's like no different than taking a picture from an aeroplane. Is that right? Yeah. I want to go back to how your career started and growing up and mm-hmm, where sure. it was yeah. that you had a pool and also your memories of when you first learnt to swim. Sure. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, so I grew up in a small suburb called George's Hall, which is a, right next to Bankstown. Yeah. So um, I grew up, I was born there um, till maybe like, I don't know, 18 or I went to uni. So I, that was pretty much my childhood. I was lucky enough to have an above-ground pool. Because um, that's unusual. Super unusual. Um, it may have helped that my dad worked for a pool company. Oh, yeah. So there <laughs> you go. So pools were always on topic. Yeah. And learning to swim, yeah, like it, I think that's something when I've moved, like, or been overseas, people don't really know how to swim. And I'm like, as an Australian, it's such a privilege that it, it's, I'm not sure. Is it must be compulsory. I forget. Well, let me tell you this story. So we were migrant kids, right? Right. And when I grew up, you weren't taught how to swim at school, right? right? And my parents didn't take us to the pool because, right. you know, they probably didn't know much about it at the time. However, my dad did like Coogee Beach, mm. right? And he would take us and I would hold, hold his arm or his leg or whatever and swim. But I really couldn't tread water and I couldn't swim. And I was invited to a um, birthday party at French's Forest and there was a pool and I thought I could swim. I was little and I jumped in and I almost drowned. Oh, so no. I was saved, yeah. Wow. And from that point on, I think my mother sent me to swimming lessons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's cultural as well. It's cultural, yeah. Yeah, I mean, being stuck on an island, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you admit you'd think that you have to, but yeah, yeah um, I, that's, uh, I think, because I've got two sisters and we all learnt to swim and mm. we all went to swimming carnivals mm. and it's, you know, every school has a swimming carnival here. So it's like you, yeah. you, you just learn to swim. Um, but yeah, so I, my memories of pretty much just summer are in the pool with my sisters, with my dad floating around into like well, late into the night, like 8, 9 p.m. And, you know, mum dragging us out. So... Mm. And I didn't really think about this until after the book was done that I had that experience and it kind of drew back that maybe there was something subconsciously drawing me there. Yeah, because swimming is so sensory, isn't it? Exactly. I I once um, I had a little apartment that I bought off the plan 
back when Off the Plan was just so new in Surrey Hills. And it had this, I don't know, it might have been 10 or 15 metre lap pool on the rooftop. Right. And sometimes I'd get home from work, like really late at 10 or 11 p.m. at night, and I'd go up to the rooftop because you could. Yeah. And I'd just lay in that pool and look mm. up at the sky. Beautiful. It is. I think I find it hard to get into lap swimming. I, I, I think you're maybe a lap swimmer. Mm, um, I am. The, the, yeah. the black line and and the and the, the muted sounds maybe is a bit much for my brain because mine's always kind of ticking very hard. But I, I can understand how it is. Yeah, it's totally. Do you know, Brad? All my best ideas come out of that pool. There you go. Maybe I've got to start doing <laughs> it again. <laughs> they really do. Um, if I can't figure something out, you go and swim. I go and swim. There yeah. You go. So um, you grew up with a pool. Talk to me then about what you thought you would be, because you never thought you'd be an aerial photographer, did you? No. no. I was a bit lost as a kid. Like I didn't really place anywhere. Um, I. I think all Australians, we, like we, everything was about, well, I mean, my family was a big sport family. So I went into, like I played soccer, I played tennis, I played like lots of different sports. And so I naturally just moved into like doing science, like exercise science at uni. And then I just passed and got my way through. I appeased my parents. Um, but after that, I traveled, I learned about the world and had a serious interest in design. Yeah. That's and that is kind of where my brain started to shift. Is that because of what you were seeing like in traveling, the architecture, the people, the pools? Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I just my eye is just always kind of it's so intrigued by patterns, by just things out in the world that I hadn't seen here and um, I always also love to build things and be in my room and take down computers and build them up again. And I always knew I wanted to create things. Um, I don't know where that was going to lead me, um, but that's how my like my childhood yeah was moving into building things and in design. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got out of uni, I travelled. I and you studied science at uni. Yeah, I studied so. science. I hated it. Um, and then I went and traveled and I came back and I did an internship at a phone app company and they were related to exercise at the time. And I thought, oh, this could be interesting. Let's just see where this goes. It was like unpaid and I don't know. It was, it was a time when tech was kind of new. So it was all, all the rage. And I found myself you know, in the design meetings, doing these um, product design, and I had no formal training. I just kind of taught myself along you the had way. A good eye. And then one thing led to another, and that that into finish. I got the job, and then and went to another job, and then I picked up photography around when twenty six or something. Twenty, yeah, around then. So, did you buy a camera, or were you using your iPhone? So, funny thing is, I've actually never really shot on a handheld camera. Right. My mum had one when I was growing up and I played around with it, but I, nothing really took at the time. And then I bought a drone, but more for the aspect of how the, thing, how the hell does this thing work? And I'm just intrigued by the technology. And then I realised that I had an interest for the photography, but after figuring out the drone and all of that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I just want to rewind a little bit and go and talk about your travels. How mm-hmm. old were you? What? Where did you go? And what were you... Because I feel that travel, I mean, you know, and I'm kind of obsessed with it. I try. It's one of my favourite things as well as swimming. But it's the shock of the new that I love. Okay. Yeah. 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 Talk to me about your travels. Yeah. It's varied. I, in the time that I was kind of learning about myself, it was very much Europe. Um, So I did the Europe thing as an early 20s guy would do. A little bit too much partying, but Mm -hmm. yeah, just figuring out who I wanted to be. Um, But yeah, you're right. Then there is something about new. Yeah. And the dopamine hit of walking into a new place, a new restaurant. I'm a foodie, so mm. majority of the countries I go to are based on food for me. Mm-hmm. So um, We are so aligned. Yeah. <laughs> we are so um, I've just come back from Mexico. I know, well, yeah, you know yeah. I, I was yeah. living there for a year. So, yeah, that's how it started. And I think it's kind of backed off a little because I've been so focused on my career. Um, but I still need to do it, and I will often... If I need to edit a series, I will pick a random location and go there for a month mm. and just immerse myself. Right. Can we talk about Mexico a little bit? Of course. Love to. Colour. Yes. Colour. Yeah. yeah. Colour harmony. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it is striking the colour combinations and how almost everything you look at is designed or architecturally right because of the use of colour. Yeah, in my mind, it's a reflection of the people. Yeah. It's got to be the friendliest country I've been to. And I, I mean, people say the Polynesian Islands are friendly, but Mexico, wow. they wow. just What you got, got you there? Tell me about your experience. Well, my book finished in Mexico. So right. I last shot the um, Barangan Pool, the, the horse stables. Right. Don't know if you got there. No. And that's the pink uh, wall with the the red one. Um, and so it was a well-documented, well-photographed place, but I feel like I wanted to do something different with it. And they allowed me to go shoot there. And so that's where I finished. Now, I met someone along the way when I was on the east coast of Mexico in Tulum, doing a couple pools there. And he was like, have you been to Mexico City? I was like, no, but I plan to finish there. He's like, be careful because I know your vibe and I think you're going to get caught. And he was right. I ended up staying. I had an Airbnb only booked for five weeks. ended up staying a year. Wow. So it was, yeah, it was fantastic. Whereabouts in Mexico City? So I was staying in Condesa in Roma. That's where I started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, how beautiful. Yeah, and the weather. And I think I figured out that 
as much as, unfortunately, there's a lot of pollution in Mexico City. Yeah. When I need sun pretty much all the time. Yeah. And it's one of those places where, apart from the rainy season, which is like rare, it's like one or two months in August, the sun appears nearly every day. Yeah. And for me, my mental health, walking walking every day in the morning, getting that sunlight, is just amazing. And everyone's, everyone's happy. Yeah. yeah. And everyone's got dogs. And dogs. Huge. Huge. Park, everyone's Mexico. got dogs. Yeah. And I would go, I was staying in a hotel across the road from a park and I can't remember what it's called, but you'd know it. And there was dog training there and there was these two guys and they'd have about 10 or 15 dogs. Yeah, the dog walkers. Yeah. And I'd just go and sit there and just watch them yeah. train with the dogs until my friends got up. So having having a nice dog in Mexico City is a status symbol. Is it? Yeah. So I learned that early on. So it's like having a nice car. In yeah, like LA wow. or something. So, I've seen the most varied breeds yeah. in the world in Mexico City. Yeah, and there is a book about dogs in Mexico City. I don't know if you've seen it. It, I it is a picture book. It. I think I'm it's an Australian it. photographer who's done oh, it. Right. I think she's I'll in Melbourne. I'll, I'll, I'll have to send you it. But yeah, it the dogs. I mean, and I'm a huge. Person. Yeah, so am I. I loved it. I'd just get my coffee and a little something and I'd sit there and watch them and they were so well behaved, mm. unlike my dog. <laughs> um, the architecture, what a surprise. Like just the varied architecture, but how, you know, for some reason, I mean, and probably through TV or movies or whatever, I had this view of it that it was going to be dilapidated or, and mm. so it was completely wrong, completely. Yeah. yeah. So Mexico City, I also had a, the you know a, a different narrative. I think I got stuck in the narrative that Mexico bad, dangerous, yes. drug, all of those things. But in truth, that only happens near the border. So like Mexico yeah. City is not nothing like that. The architecture, yes. The amount of just, I mean, I'm a huge concrete fan, and so when I see a concrete next to an amazing fiddly fig or yeah. you know just anything that's like that, and a huge straight line, so. Yes, I agree. It is yeah, it is well slept on. Mm. Yeah. Well, I ended up being there three weeks and, you know, I can see how you stayed a year. Mm. I mean, it's just so mesmerising. And the people, you're right, the people so so lovely. Although I did get a bit of altitude sickness. Yes, yeah. that can happen. Kind of came and went the whole time I was oh, there. Oh, really? Yeah, it was a bummer. But anyway, I loved it. Okay, now I want to talk about a drone because I have no idea mm. really what you're talking about. Sure. So can you explain that to me and explain how you can get it to be still over an image and anyway tell, tell, talk to me sure. about drones. so I use I suppose the best prosumer drone you can have I don't I'm not a fan of carrying huge suitcases of, of, of gear that will put me off photography I use what gets the job done mm-hmm. so it's probably about the size of maybe two iPhones stacked together in lengthways. Oh, and so it's small. F- yeah, it's small and four, like four um, wings that pop out. They've gotten very good over the last five, six years. Um, and Good as in what? Um, Technology-wise. So mm-hmm. e- like basically all of my sh- stuff is quite stationary. Mm. So you need the drone to not... You to know, be still. S- to sway or anything just to, you know, that, that would cause all te- issues with the with the actual image. And even in the windiest conditions, it will hold its position. Wow. So, uh, lucky enough, I haven't shot in too many windy places. Actually, Sydney is the most windiest place yeah. I've, like, that I've... I mean, not that I've counted, but shot. Sydney is ridiculously hard to shoot here yeah. from the air. Yeah, so the technology is great. Like, it just will hold there. Batteries last about 30 minutes. So, is that all? Yeah, but I've got multiple batteries. So, right. that's the heavy thing about it. Um, but 
yeah, and it's I it you control it uh, on a on a little joystick with your phone. You pop it in, and Where's you're up and away. Where's the camera? The camera's on the front part of the drone and uses a gimbal, so it's always stabilized. Right. Um, no matter what you're doing. So, and not that I do film, but if you're moving and you move quickly to one side, the camera will hold still. Right. So your image will be stabilized. Okay. And let's say all those beautiful images that I see in the book, mm. are they just all one shot or you've taken multiple photos? A few of them have multiple and stitched. Um, just because I like to have the detail in the image and the further you go up from the image, the less detail you're going to have. So what I would do is take it lower, like at five metres, and take maybe four, that I would get the entire picture of the pool in crisp resolution and then that's my starting palette. And then from there I start to do about well, 10, 20 different crops of the pool and right. I just look at them and see where I want to go with it. But yeah. it's never just... It's very rare that I've done – I can probably name three pools that I've done that are just the pool. Right. Um, there's one that looks like a flip-flop um, in Sydney that I know I kept as the full image because it looked like a flip-flop. But it's very rare for me to ever do that. Right. There's another one at, is at Cleveland Pool, the pool in Redfern with the laps. Where's that? Oh, Where people are lapping. Yes, that's the the one in Surrey Hills. Oh, right, yeah. The one with yeah. the yellow. The yeah. That's Cleveland Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Love that pool. I used to live across the road from there. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, I've never lived um, not far from a pool. That's weird about that image because I've had multiple people reach out, big swimmers that have gone, I really love this because it's a nine-lane swimming pool. It's like one of the only ones in the world apparently. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there you go. Nine nine lanes. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Talk to me about pulling this book together. What came first, the work? How did you get to making a book? So I sat in my living room very, um, very clear to me. I was sitting in my living room thinking about how can I make this a career. And I saw a lot of other photographers at the time were putting together series-based work. And I had never done this. And this is a time when we talked about the start. Okay, I've got all these holiday photos. What do I do with them? And so I com- saw the common theme of pools, and I, I had around ten that I think were okay. And I'm like, I'm going to go shoot some in Sydney and see what I can do. And so I got to a number of about twenty, and I was like, for the hell of it, let's see if any, um, like publications will pick it up. So. I searched around, tried to find some picture editors at the BBC, at CNN, here in The Guardian. I just sent it to them. I said, who knows what's going to happen? And little did I know, it just went viral. Mm. They're beautiful. And I think the whole shtick of the articles around the time was it was because of COVID and people really wanted that escapism. Mm. And I like to think it was for my imagery, but I, I, I do see how that made sense at the time to really want to escape your you know, your, your living room or your bedroom that you've been stuck in. So um, that's how it came about. And I kind of just kept moving on. I sold some prints. I made some money. I was like, okay, let's kind of keep progressing, see where this goes. It wasn't until I had an, I, the New York Times made a huge feature on it. I and think that might have been where I first saw it then. Because that was that was it. That's kind of your yeah. life. Yeah, that's the changer. Wow. Yeah. Um, so it is absolutely a game changer. Yeah, it's a game changer. And I got I don't know fifteen thousand followers overnight, huge mm. sales. And then um, three days later, um, Paul from Smith Street reached out 
in Melbourne and was like, do you want to do a book? And I also had a couple other publishers that reached out and this was all new to me. Mm-hmm. And I was just like a bit, bit deer in the headlights, reached out to some photographers. I'm like, I need guidance. Like, where do I go here? What do I, what, what is a book contract? Like, what is a publishing contract? Like, I don't know yeah. anything about this. Yeah. So yeah, that's how it started. Yeah. Is there a difference in um, taking photos and thinking about their placement? Like, is it going to be a poster Is it, or is it going to be a piece of art on the wall or is it going to be in a book? Do you, does that, is there a difference and how do you think about that? I've always said to myself, I'll never um, produce work based for purpose. For purpose. Mm. Mm. Um, I think that's very dangerous to do. Yeah. I, I love what I do. I love my work and I will always pursue things that, I want to, um, you know, that, that in, in, in my head and that I need to get out. Yeah. Sure, I, I think that's, don't get me wrong, I don't, you know, get on, go to sleep at night and think, hmm, but if I did another 30 pulls, could I do something in Europe and could we do another book? There's, you know, those things kind of come out, but you should always try and stick to your what's next and hopefully everything follows. Mm. I know a painter and um, people often ask him and you can imagine his response to this. They'll say, oh, you know, I'm looking for something blue in my lounge room. <laughs> and he's like, go to Ikea and get a poster. Yeah, anyway, yeah, 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 yeah you yeah. know, I, I hear you. Yeah, so. Right, so do you see, I mean, you know, you're young and this is just the beginning, but how do you see this rolling out? I have no idea. And I think no. it can be, you can get a lot of anxiety trying to yeah. think too far down the road. Like I'm pursuing other series at the moment that can be larger bodies of work. I'd love to do another book. But as I said before, I'm not pushing series just because of a book. I don't know, to be honest. Mm. And I think if I think too hard about it, I might, you know, I, I might freak myself out and overthink it. Um, but I always, I'll keep going back to the roots of when I was a kid. I always want to design and build. And wherever that takes me. Do you think for you the technology is always going to be the drone and the camera or do you think that technology might change in the way that you... Because it's a certain way of seeing, isn't it? Yeah. I think if you ask me, like, what, why I'm trying to do what I do, I think it's a metaphor for perspective in the world. I think that's travel has really brought and that's what I wanted to bring out into the world and all the series that I do showing life or, or like innate objects like pools from a different perspective. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the question was about, but I, I just wanted to say that whatever I pursue, I think it will always be showing about a different perspective. And Ariel was just that one at the time that made sense. Yeah. So what I'm saying, it's not the technology. No. It's what you're saying. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I've considered just getting a huge, like, Busby Berkeley style and getting a huge... Do you know who Busby Berkeley is? No. Oh, he was a film producer in, like, the 20s and he did huge, huge, large-scale photo shoots of synchronised swimmers and there are, like, hundreds of them. And so we'd get on a huge ladder, almost platforms, and just use a camera. And so I've also thought, could I do that as well instead of using a drone? It's not about the technology to me now. It's more about... How can I show a different perspective on, on the world? And right now it's through photography. Yeah, and how how can I show people what I see? 
Uh, yeah, I think the the things that in my brain I want to get out there into the world. Yeah. yeah. Do you know, I think photography is so unique and we often have a laugh um, here in the office about it because some of my team are really, they've got a good eye for yeah. taking a photo yeah. and some haven't. Right. But, and the ones that haven't, they don't see what you see. We're both looking through the same lens and we're both looking at probably a photo of a book in our case or a photo of a person and they don't see what I see. They chop the head off or they chop the side off. It's like, what what happened? (laughs) Yeah. hard Hard work beats talent every time. I've just worked so hard at refining. For a year, I, in 2019, 2020, I posted an image every day on social media. That was my goal. And so even if it was horrible, I still put it there because I wanted to um, put onus on myself to be responsible and to do it and to show that I can. But it, the 10,000 hour rule is so, like, I think it's really, it's, it's proven its point with me. Like, not mm-hmm. that I've done 10,000, but it's just practice. It really is. Like, I take the photograph like anyone else would. It's just all that kind of magic happens after when I'm looking at it. And I'm saying, oh, there's that line that I can draw people into or there's that blue hue, that gradient that fades off to the side. That will be really nice. Like it's just those things I look for. Mm. Um, it is what you see though. You're yeah. showing us what you see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Brad, we're out of time. I just feel so lucky that you were local. That you <laughs> lived I, I, I can't believe it. For me it's kind of like a dream come true because I've loved the work Thank for so such much. a long time. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a dream. Yeah, it's been really nice to chat to you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.